Super 70 Sports Podcast. Oh, hell yeah. In 87, I don't have another explanation for it. It's the, the only thing, the, the only common thing in all these home runs in 87 was the ball. And I definitely think it was fiddled with. Uh, and um, so when they say now, uh, you know, hey, do you think they ever fiddled with the ball? I, well, I, I said, yeah, that's what happened in 87 because I never would have hit 44 home runs uh, without ball a little juice. I don't go into that long explanation about 87 unless people ask me directly like you, but... Sometimes they'll say, boy, you had a great year in 87. I'd just say, yeah. <laughs> uh, that was the legendary Dale Murphy on the last podcast talking about the home run explosion of 1987. And Murph is a very modest guy, but make no mistake about it. He had the power to hit it out of any park, any time. Welcome to the podcast, everybody. I'm Ricky Cobb, and before we get started, a, a quick reminder that Pass Pros is going to be putting on the first ever Pass Pros Roadshow. Uh, that's coming up Saturday, August 13th in Plano, Texas. You may have seen that I've tweeted about it some here recently, and it's going to be quite an event. Uh, Ellis Valentine, Al Oliver, Don Stanhouse, and Jeff Russell are all going to be on hand, four Major League All-Stars, and I'll be there as well. And if you're in the area, by all means, make plans to come out and see us. And uh, I'm so excited about the way that this event is organized because there's actually going to be a VIP room, and that's where I'll be along with these guys. And fans who get a VIP ticket for one low price can go into the VIP room, get multiple items signed by each of these All-Stars, and have the opportunity to actually enter interact with them some and, and talk to them, unlike what you uh, normally experience if you go to memorabilia shows. So it's just so cool. Uh, now, VIP tickets are going very fast. There are only a few left at this point, but the good news is if you head over to PassPros.com now, there is still time to get your VIP clearance and go back into the VIP room where I'll be along with uh, these all-stars, and we're planning to have a great day. I know it's going to be so much fun, and I'm looking forward to seeing a lot of you guys and, and having some conversations with those of you that have uh, helped make Super 70 Sports what it is. Uh, my, my guest today is a guy who has carved out a 30-plus year Hollywood career, uh, a, a very successful actor and director. You may know him from TV series such as Life Goes On, Melrose Place, ER, 24, uh, Pretty Little Liars. But what you probably don't know about this guy is he's also a tremendous and knowledgeable sports fan. And in fact, he was one of the early followers of Super 70 Sports. And it's been my pleasure to get to know him just a little bit over the course of the last year. And I'm absolutely delighted to welcome onto the podcast today, joining me now on the Super 70 Sports Hotline, Emmy Award winning actor and director, Chad Lowe. Chad, how are you? Great, Ricky. So good to talk to you. I've been such a fan of your site and, and of your podcast, and uh, I'm really uh, honored you'd have me uh, participate. Well, I'm thrilled to have you on, especially as you tell me this is your first ever podcast appearance. Yeah, you know, I, I just, uh, I, all the other podcasts, none of them just seemed, uh, 
seemed worthy of the time spent. But when I, I when you invited me to come come on your podcast, I just thought, well, that's just an offer I can't turn down. So I, I had to be here. Well, you've elevated the entire enterprise uh, by, by coming <laughs> I don't know on. About that. Believe me, you've classed this joint up a little bit. I don't bit. know. You've got. I'm fa- I'm falling in some pretty some pretty uh, big shoes to follow there. Uh, I've I've been following your podcast, and um, you know I may be a little different than some of your. Uh, you know your other sports heroes that I've listened to, but um, I, uh, I've got some good stories at least. So I mean, I might not have, I might not have stories from uh, firsthand experience, but I, I'm, I've got some good uh, stories that I've heard passed down from uh, a few famous athletes and such. All right, well, I can't wait for that. I, you know, I have to say, um, one of the things that I think is really kind of drawn Super Seventy Sports together is this sort of community experience that we have among those of us who grew up during a certain time in this country and remember the 70s and the 80s and sort of this shared uh, consciousness that we have about our, our favorite athletes and, and teams of that era. So I kind of just want to go back and, and, and start out by asking you about what it was like growing up in Ohio. I know you're a Dayton kid, so uh, yep. you're, you're a Midwesterner at your core. Uh, what was it like growing up in uh, Ohio during the 1970s, particularly at the time of the Big Red Machine? Well, yeah. That, I mean, it, it was the golden era for sports in, in the uh, southwestern Ohio region. We had the Big Red Machine was in its in all its glory. I mean, I, I some my first the first game I ever attended at, at uh, Old Riverfront Stadium, my grandfather took me to a World Series game, uh, 1972 World Series. Oh, wow. And, uh, yeah, that was the first time I was ever at Riverfront Stadium. If I recall correctly, um, I, well, let's see, I was born in 68, so I was pretty young. Um, but uh, I, I, I believe we sat in the very last row of the <laughs> upper, upper deck red seats. Um, but it didn't matter to me because uh, I think from that moment on, just just uh, you can't say that you the smell of cut grass because it was that awful uh, you know concrete astroturf. But um, I was I was hooked and, and loved everything and still do love everything Cincinnati Reds to this day. It's a, it's hard to be a Cincinnati Reds fan right now in our in our rebuilding. But uh, you know that's what happens in what as they say a small market team. But let let me let me take you back for a second because. What what attracted me to your uh, Twitter and and to all of the all of the uh, tweets that you had was um, I think we shared a love for all things stirrups for a while there. <laughs> yes, that's and, a fact. Uh, and and I, I I just can't I can't abide these these new long pants that the baseball uh, players are wearing. And um, so I think uh, I really appreciated immediately, and I felt a kinship with you immediately that we we demand we demand the baseball. Uh, teams to to implement stirrups, even even if they were uncomfortable. As a kid, I can remember having that horrible line that would be right in the arch of your foot. Yes, but but still, that the, the aesthetic really brings the uniform together. And without it, it just something looks wrong about it. It's kind of like those Cavs jerseys that they wore, where they had the sleeves and they they win a championship. But you're going to go back in the history books and you're going to see those god awful Cavs jerseys <laughs> with the sleeves. And people are going to say, "What was what was Cleveland thinking?" But you know what? It ended the curse. So um, I think that that you know what it is too for me, and maybe what we share in common, and what some of your listeners share is a, a certain nostalgia for uh, a different era of sports. And it was kind of the the turning point where where it wasn't 
the big business that it is now. And, you know, as you said, growing up, I was growing up in Ohio at a very specific time for the Big Red Machine. I can remember the day that Pete Rose was traded just absolutely broke my heart, and I couldn't understand how he could be a Philadelphia Philly. It, it, that and Joe Morgan. I mean, it was, I mean, it was a very dark day for me as a, as a Reds fan, but what I came to realize as a sports fan, everything changed, and obviously it was free agency, but... And and that, you know, certainly there had been free agents before that, but for me, there was none that was more high profile than seeing your, you know, your boyhood idol, Pete Rose, leaving your team and playing for for another team. It just, it it was really a a bitter pill to swallow. Still to this day, I, I, I... You've posted a few photographs of Pete as a as a Philly and, and Pete as an expo, and I, I just I refuse to acknowledge <laughs> that stirrups or not. I just refuse to acknowledge that Pete played for any other team other than the Cincinnati Reds. I think the stirrup conversation is is definitely one that's worth having. But another thread that connects us is Riverfront Stadium, because mm-hmm. uh, I, I grew up in Kentucky. And okay. Riverfront Stadium was the first major league uh, park that I ever went to. Although uh, I got there in 1980, unfortunately after right. after the, after the yeah. breakup, right? Uh, and, uh, and oddly enough, you were talking about those red seats in the upper deck at, at Riverfront, yep. but I actually, uh, have a couple of, uh, Riverfront seat backs, uh, in the room that I'm looking, that I'm looking at right now, the w- one red one and one of the blue, uh, uh, box lower seats. Deck, yep. Yeah. The blue, the, the blue seats were the, were the low, the lowest, uh, I think that was the best seat in the house was the blue seat. If, That's uh, right. If I remember, I think it went, let uh, test my memory. I think it went, I think it went blue, green, yellow, red. That's right. And the yellows, the, the yellows were cushiony. Yes, I remember one time getting to sit in a box. My father is an attorney, and he still works in Dayton, Ohio, still lives in Dayton, Ohio. And I remember he got some, some, some client gave him box seats. And I, I remember those yellow cushiony seats, but I also remember thinking, why aren't we down closer to the game? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because closer is better. So anytime somebody invites somebody, anytime somebody invites invites me to a game and and they say, hey, I got a box at the at the you know for the hockey or whatever, I, I just I just don't want to do it. In fact, I've been lucky enough to know a few people. I I know the Yorks pretty well, who who own the uh, or the CEO of the uh, San Francisco 49ers, and I, I got to tell you, they're they're class act. Jed York is just an absolute class act. And I know he cares a great deal about the Niners. I mean, listen, I'm digressing a bit here, but I I know him a little bit personally, and he is really passionate and cares a great deal about bringing that that franchise back to glory. Um, But anytime he's invited us to a game, he says, uh, you know, we we come and sit in the box. And I I always think, uh, how do you turn that offer down? But really, being in a box is just no way for me. I just don't think there should be boxes at, at any sporting event. Just, uh, that, that, we're on a whole other. No, no, here, but, no. But listen, that's th- this podcast. That's what we do is tangents. <laughs> so okay, so, uh, so that's my tangent. Is you know, I remember seeing Springsteen open up the Staples Center out here in L.A., and uh, he was the first artist to play the Staples Center. And he walked out and he took this big long pause and he looked around and he said, "So L.A., this is your new your new arena, huh?" Because I don't like it. I don't like it at all. Too many box seats. He goes, too many of those corporate boxes. Because that's no way to see a rock and roll show. Get out of those boxes now. And you know what? He never played the Staples Center again. And he just finished the River Tour. And he played the old uh, Los Angeles Memorial Sports Arena, which wow. was an 
and it, and it was the dump that he called it the dump that, that jumps and it was literally a dump but man you are so close to the action in a place like that and that's the way these stadiums should be well and, and, and you know that's the thing though that's so important to, to owners it seems like whenever a, a team is pushing for a, a, a new stadium one of the things that gets talked about the most is they want to add luxury boxes and, and so forth yeah, and yet you think about the classic stadiums, and 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 they're all Wrigley. Uh, you know, it's Wrigley, it's it's Fenway, um, and all of these places that that were built. You know, I, I think I think I, I haven't been. I've certainly you probably been to the new Soldier Field, which I hear they did a really nice job with. But anytime they take you out, they take you the fans out of the intimate experience of being in a game live. I mean, I remember as a, I'm also a hockey fan. I went to see the Montreal Canadiens play at the old garden. And I'm telling you that it was, uh, it was an emotional experience to walk into that building and see those sweaters, the beautiful sweaters that they wear and be so close to the action. You could hear the blades and you could hear, you literally could hear them breathe. You were so close to the game. It was just, and then to think, and then I went to the new Molson Center and it was, it was an absolute, I, I call it the garden. It should be the forum. I'm sorry. I'm thinking Toronto. People are going to be like, it's not, it is not, the, it is not plus a garden. It's the forum, you fool. Okay. Um, so no angry still, emails over that. All right. No We're, angry emails. No, I know the difference. It was the Montreal. Montreal Forum, and it was a it was a an incredible place. I'm so feel so fortunate that I got to actually see that place before they tore it down. Well, or is it, it a museum now? Right? I think it's a museum, isn't it? Um, I, I'm not sure actually. Yeah, yeah. We'll get, we'll to, you'll get an email about you'll get you'll get an angry email about that. <laughs> well, you know, it's always something. But you know, I I would say it's 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 sort of like this. Um, process that the, there's no there's no turning it back now i mean that this is just kind of the the way that things are going with these uh stadiums and ballparks even wrigley now i mean they're, mm-hmm. they're the ricketts family is doing a lot to try and update it yet at the same time keep the charm but i don't think you can completely keep the charm when you're putting in huge video boards and pumping in loud music and things like that. I mean, Wrigley is still a, a, a different experience than most other ballparks, but I don't think Wrigley is the same as it was even five years ago. And I don't want to be one of these old get-off-my-lawn guys, but uh, I'm not sure that I'm not sure that I like it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm like Eastwood in Gran Torino. You know, I I'm not sure that I I'm not sure that I like a giant video board uh, at Wrigley. You know, it, the focal point used to be the the old scoreboard in center field, and I mean it's just overpowered by the giant video board that they have now. Well, it's interesting. It, it's interesting what we're talking about too, and it's I think it's what what the appeal of what you've created with with you know with the podcast and with the Twitter feed and all that you've done is. Is and what I was mentioning is this: there are there are those of us out there that are really drawn to this old style of 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 the the experience of going to a ballpark and and the actual playing of the game was the event, and we didn't need and then frankly I find it distracting all of the jumbotrons and every inning there seems to be some kind of game with running sausage, you know, they get the sausage running around the field or whatever the hell that is. And, you know, it used to be that we went just solely for the game itself and that was enough. And now, I don't know if it's a, it was part of the MTV generation that the split 
news 24 hours a day news cycle split screen news cycle where we have such a wandering uh, attention span that right. we need constant uh, flashy um, things thrown in our face to hold our attention and I think there are some of us and I don't I, maybe it's just maybe it's just that we're old Ricky I'm not sure but um, you know I won't even go to a Kings game a LA Kings game anymore because you can't hear yourself think they play that they play music literally at the face-off, they play music, and they play, and the, the music bleeds off. And as soon as there's a stoppage in play, they're blasting music. And, you know, you go for the experience. Again, that's why I love going to Canada to watch a game. Nobody gets up during the game, no, and, and there's a respect for the game. Maybe that's what it is. It, that, that I just sense somehow there's, there isn't the respect for the game that there used to be. And I don't know if that's born of the, the, you know, the players becoming more about, less about team and more about what they can get. Um, for themselves, I don't know if it's a, if it's a selfish thing, but you know the higher salaries. And look, uh, you know, I I understand people. I'm happy for anybody who can get as much as they can to to, to make a living. But the salaries and the high salaries have dictated all of this. You know, needing to have corporate boxes and needing to have the latest amenities for for the fan base. And you know, they've got to pay these guys salaries. I, my biggest fear is we're going to look like some European hockey league. Oh. With or Na- a NASCAR, you know, uh, drivers and the, 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 all these jerseys. I think the NBA said they're going to start looking at putting corporate logos on their jerseys. The, did, uh, did I hear that right? You heard it right. Unfortunately, the uh, the first domino is, is going to fall uh, next, not this coming season, but the 2017-2018 NBA season. They're beginning what they're calling a three-year pilot of having. Uh, advertisements on the jersey they're going to be on the uh on on the uh front chest on one side so that it shows up nice when a guy's at the foul line oh boy that is i mean can we start a petition can we do we got to start some kind of uh change.org thing something we got to do something because you know in in the, the philadelphia 76ers are the first team to uh, have announced their partnership, and uh, you, you don't want to go look and see this, but if you do, you can just Google it. But uh, they've partnered with StubHub, and so uh, StubHub is going to be uh, the uh, 76ers partner. So we'll see what other uh, uh, companies uh, like, sign you know, on. I mean, I, I don't see why they need that. You understand when you go, like when you go to a soccer game or a football game, you understand because there is, there are not, there are not, te- there's not TV timeouts. You can't sell the advertising with commercials, and so you, they need to advertise. So you look along the field, and they've got all those, all the advertisements. But and then you, you know, you, you've got these these great national teams, and you look at it, and it's like. Samsung? I'm, I'm, wait, which team? What team is that? <laughs> are they the Samsungs? Or are they the Seven Ups? I've seen some of those jerseys, and it's just it's it's so distracting and awful. But you know, that may be the the future, I guess. It, it probably is. I mean, un, unless, like you say, I mean, we as fans really draw the line. But um, the WNBA, for instance, I mean, if you if you look at the jerseys that those ladies wear, I mean, that could be a preview of. Uh, uh, what the NBA looks like in ten years? I mean, because they, they basically look like English Premier League teams, right. you know. So let's go back then to those idyllic uh, days of the seventies. Now, wh- where do you stand on artificial turf? Because I'm I'm just going to go out there and say it. I yeah. I have nostalgia for artificial turf. Okay, there. I've admitted that publicly. 
I I like it. I made a comment uh, uh, on uh, on my Twitter feed at some point that that I like uh, the, the Sky Dome, Rogers Center. I, I, I right. want to call it the Sky Dome because that's a lot cooler. Right. It's, it will always be the Sky Dome. You can't change. Just because a corporation takes over the name of, of something, it's always going to be the Sky Dome. It doesn't matter if it's Rogers or whoever. It's always going to be the Sky Dome. Let's just get that straight. All right. right? We're clear on that. Um, and, I, and I made a comment that I it's one of my parks that I that I like. I've... I don't know. I've been to like I don't know twenty one major league parks or something like that, and I like the I like the Sky Dome. It's up there for me. And somebody said, "Oh, you know all that concrete and uh, artificial turf." And I, you know, I said I said to the guy, "Hey, I am super seventy sports guy. I mean, yeah. concrete and artificial turf. I mean, that's kind of you what like I the, do." You like those? You like the old Veterans Stadium, and you like Riverfront Stadium. You like well, I'll tell you one thing. You can. Re- I remember the heat coming off of the artificial turf in the dead of summer at Riverfront Stadium. You could feel it up in the red seats. It would be 125 degrees. I I don't know if I share, I'll be honest with you, I mean, you and I may differ at this point. I'm not sure I share your same affinity for artificial turf. In fact, if we take it to the foot, into football, you know how you look at a game, well, not in St. Louis anymore, but you watch a game on TV that's in St. Louis or was in at the Superdome, and there's that horrible glare on the field. Yeah. That, have you noticed that? And it, <clears throat> I, 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 every, every sport, to me, should be played on grass. So I have to disagree. But I'll tell you an interesting story about this. I had the honor and the privilege of playing in the Celebrity All-Star softball game at, at, um, in Cincinnati last year. And uh, I got to pick the brain of some of, the, you know, some of my heroes. And I was talking to Ozzie Smith about what it was like to play at the old Bush Stadium with that with the the AstroTurf, and I said, "How was that?" Because I mean, you know, he was always laying out and diving and making making those incredible circus catches. And I said, "Was that hard on your body to play on that on that turf?" And he said, "He actually preferred it because he said the ball got to you so much faster." He said, "It gave me an opportunity uh, to stay way way back." And you remember how far he'd almost be. Uh, right in the outfield yeah. playing uh, shortstop. And he said, but one of the things that most people didn't know, this is Ozzy Smith told me this, that he said, every time you go to a new park, you'd have to find where the seams were, where that carpet was laid down. Because really, it's, it's not artificial turf. Let's just call it what it is. It's <laughs> carpet. So he said, you would have, he said, I would, you know, during batting practice, I would walk the field and look for the seams. He said, because as soon as a ball hit one of those seams, it would just take off in the opposite direction. And he said, there are a lot of times, he said, I would, I'd be make an error and, you know, it would be a ball that seemingly somebody said, how could you, how could you not, you know, feel that cleanly? And he said that what they wouldn't know is it would hit one of those seams where they put the artificial carpet slash turf down. So I got a a cool insight from him about which which was really interesting. And he, he, he actually liked playing on it. I, as a, as a sports fan, there's nothing better than, you know, I go to a lot of Dodger games out here, and going in and seeing that grass and smelling that grass, I mean, it is, it, it is a, a, it, it's such an incredible experience to have that. It's like it reminds you of your youth, you know, the smell of cut grass. Yeah, that's, the way base, that's the way baseball should be. I wouldn't, Sorry about your Rogers. <laughs> what are we calling it? The Sky Dome? The Sky Dome. I, I wouldn't say that I like artificial turf better I just, you know, maybe I would like a half a dozen artificial turf parks mixed into the 
mixed into the league just for a little no, I, spice of I, life. I, I love. I, listen, I love all the new the the new old retro parts. I mean, I've yet to be to Camden Yards, but I, from what I've heard, that is just the crown jewel of doing it right. Um, so I love I love all these all how they've really you know we've been complaining about uh, the corporate boxes. Let's let's also give credit to the owners who have have created more fan friendly parks. Yeah, so, and, there, and there has been a movement toward that. Although I'm still not sure what's wrong in Atlanta, why they need a new park. I'm not sure why the Texas Rangers all of a sudden need a new ballpark. To me, that is a. Uh, that's greed, and and I guarantee that the taxpayer is going to really regret that decision. Yeah, I mean it's artificial obsolescence at its at its worst, really. I mean I've uh, uh, been to Turner Field once years years ago, like in the late nineties, and uh, I was actually uh, in Arlington last year for the first time, and I, I really like that park. Um, you know, I know that the, I know that a retractable uh, roof is. Uh, a plus there because the the heat gets pretty oppressive, but uh, but but I thought that was a terrific ballpark actually. I mean, but maybe if I was going to twenty games a year or more, like a lot of the locals, maybe I would appreciate uh, the, the air conditioning. Let's talk about Tropicana Field for a minute and what a disaster that place is. They shouldn't be allowed to have a play baseball in that in that awful behemoth. I mean, that is. I can't watch a game on TV in that place. The lighting is horrible. The field looks horrible. It, there's no, re- I mean, and yet I guess down in South Florida in the, in the summertime, it's a good thing to have that. But, but they, they just they shouldn't they shouldn't be allowed no. to play baseball in a place like that. I, I've never been there. I, I agree with you. It looks terrible on television. I've, I've I know people who have been there, and the reports uh, were not positive. Uh, my, my solution for that is let, let's just relocate that team back to Montreal. Get a nice open air park Absolutely. in Montreal and bring the Expos back. I think that's a, that is. A, and while we're at it, let's give the Nordiques the uh, the NHL franchise they 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 deserve. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Uh, you know, I was I was I was sorry to see that Las Vegas uh, got the expansion team. Although uh, nothing against Las Vegas, but I, I know that Quebec City was the uh, was the other uh, contender in that horse race, and I was I was well, sad I to know. see them lose that. Wait a minute. When you think of, of, of old time Eddie Shore, you know, original six kind of hockey, don't you think Las Vegas? <laughs> well, you know, Eddie Shore probably, he probably had like a good time or two on the strip in his life. You know, I've imagined him play, playing, you know, roulette or, you know, throwing craps or something. But you're right. I mean, a lot of the, I mean, I guess that the NHL is, has had, you know, good success uh, moving into places that we wouldn't associate with hockey. But, I mean, I, I grew up in Kentucky, and I mean, look, I, my hockey knowledge compared to the other three major sports is uh, practically non-existent. I mean, you know, I've learned a lot just in uh, running this Twitter account because one of the things that I discovered early on is that hockey fans are, I mean, you could make the argument that hockey fans are the most passionate uh, fans and so uh, you know I wanted to put hockey content out there for uh, for those folks and uh, right. I, I had to uh, I had to do some brushing up believe me because uh, growing up in Kentucky hockey really just wasn't on the radar now I mean for for you before now you moved to, to California how old were you at that at that point I moved I moved from Ohio out to California when I was seven 
years old. Okay. So I believe uh, it was ni- somewhere between 1976 and 1977 I moved. I think it was 1977 we moved out to uh, California. And, um, you know, it was funny. I was, I, I was in a program at school where I w- they gave me an opportunity to interview somebody. I think I was in third or fourth grade. They said, you can interview any celebrity uh, any famous person you want that we obviously, if we can get a hold of them, and it was some program for kids, I don't know, I was interested in journalism, and um, I asked if I could interview Pete Rose, of course, <laughs> and and they and they said, give us your three top choices, and I said, I, I want to interview Pete Rose, Joe Morgan, or Dave Concepcion, um, and uh, <laughs> so... You, needless to say, that was going to be a little tricky in Southern California, getting to arrange an interview with them. But I figured, you know, they come to play the Dodgers, and this is back when the Reds were in the West, and I got to see them, you know, on three or four different occasions during the season. But um, I settled on a guy named Steve Garvey, who I didn't know I didn't know much about, but I knew he was a Dodger. And um, so I got to go into the dugout and uh, interview Steve Garvey. And this is before the advent of video cameras and certainly long before personal cell phone video cameras. So I had an audio recording, which I've since lost, Uh. of my interview with Steve Garvey. And I had some really tough questions like, like, I think I asked him, how do you like playing against the Cincinnati Reds? Um, (laughs) What's it like? when you go to Cincinnati. You're like Mike Wallace, Chad. I mean, you're just just roasting him. Oh, I was grilling him. I said, have you ever met Pete Rose? Have you ever met Joe Morgan? Do you have any stories about Dave? (laughs) (laughs) But I was such a a little Reds fan and so homesick for for the Midwest and and for for Dayton, Ohio, that um, I I don't think I really appreciated who I actually got to interview. But I do have a photograph somewhere that I'll have to... I'll have to put up on my Twitter, and I'll make sure I send it over to you, of, of me as a seven- or eight-year-old interviewing Steve Garvey. And, you know, I, I've met him since, uh, and I, certainly he didn't remember, uh, I don't think, but I, he was so kind to me and just so patient with me and answered all of my ridiculous questions. I think one of my questions was, do you prefer AstroTurf or grass? I think that was one of my questions. Um, uh, which isn't such a ridiculous question. We've spent some time on that. Um, but I got to interview Steve Garvey and, 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 you know, many, many years later met him and told him you had the opportunity just to thank him for being so, so kind and so patient to a young man. And, you know, it's experiences like that, that, that help shape you as an adult now, you know, That's uh, very true. Another, another hockey, quick hockey story. Um, you know, I, I sometimes, People will ask for my autograph, uh, rarely, but sometimes they do, and I always oblige, or they'll ask for a picture, and I always oblige. And that's mainly because, as you know, as a kid, I remember that my experiences with Steve Garvey, or I remember meeting Dave Concepcion when he came out here, and he he let me try on his mitt when I was probably eight or nine years old. And come on, and I was that's, that's here amazing. at Dodger Stadium. Yeah, and I asked him. I was really really interested in how people, how the big leaguers broke their mitts in, and he said he used shaving cream to help break his glove in. Um, but then I also, not not all that long ago, I want to say about 10 years ago, and I ha- was playing in a celebrity hockey game, and, and I believe, I don't remember where we were, but I was playing with a bunch of celebrities and a bunch of pros, and actually Gordy Howe was playing, which was a, an incredible thrill to get to meet Gordy Howe. And uh, we were coming off the ice between periods, and there was an actor who will remain nameless, and... Um, 
but it might might have might have been from Canada. Might have been named his his name rhymed with Asen Reestley. Uh, <laughs> okay, so use your imagination, listeners. Yes, uh, <laughs> yes. He was going off the ice, and somebody asked him to sign something, and he said no. And I'll never forget. Gordy Howe was behind him, and he hooked him with his stick and pulled him back to him, and he goes. You always sign. Remember, you always sign an autograph. These people are paying to see you. And it was like, you know, Mr. Hockey tells you to sign an autograph. You're, you're signing a frickin' autograph. <laughs> and then, you know, cut to a few weeks later ago where we, you know, when we lost Gordy and he passed away, there was an interview with Wayne Gretzky that I heard. And Wayne said he, he remembers one of the great things about Gordy was he always signed autographs. And he said, you know, I figured Wayne said it as a kid, if growing up, if, 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 if Gordy Howe could take the time to sign autographs, then certainly I could take the time to sign autographs too. Well, so that was pretty cool. You know, that that's very cool. It makes me think of uh, a quote and I'm probably uh, going to botch this, uh, but the, I'll, I'll give you the gist of it. And it's from Sparky Anderson, who uh, I think Sparky once said, or he's credited with saying that, uh, you know, b- being nice is the, you know, the most important thing. It, it doesn't cost a nickel and it's worth a million dollars. And, and those are, and those are experiences. I mean, you know, I understand, I mean, uh, or at least I think I would understand that if you're somebody like Gordie Howe and everywhere you go, somebody's sticking something in front of you, you know, wanting you to sign something, uh, I'm sure there's days that you don't feel like doing that. I mean, heck, you know, but, uh, at the same time, those are, those are memories that, uh, you know, those fans are going to carry around with them for a lifetime. And people will yeah. draw conclusions about you based on their five-second interaction, even though that's not fair. Uh, you know that happens because if right. somebody bumps into a you know Chad Lowe and asks for an autograph, and you know you're in a hurry or whatever, and you just say, "Oh, you know, can't right now" or whatever, somebody's gonna go away saying, "Oh yeah, I met Chad Lowe, and he's a he's a jerk or whatever." You know, he's a, yeah, he's a, he, he's a jerk, and you know, it, it it really doesn't take much. I mean, I can understand too for the pro athlete because they have to deal with collectors and you know, and right. knowing that somebody just wants the autograph to turn around us to to you know to make a profit off of it. I can imagine. I don't think that happens to me or many actors for that matter it's not like uh, the pro sports players who have to deal with that but um i do know some some people who sign have a way some of the pro you may know more about this than I do, but some of the pro athletes have a way of signing their number into their signature so that it can't be duplicated do you know about that i don't actually yeah you should look into that i've heard some stories about some guys who've who've uh, figured out a way to, to sign their autograph because uh, if you sign it just on one of those like kind of pieces of paper that looks almost like photo, like a photo paper. Mm-hmm. Those guys will take it, then they'll recreate it. I know that happens a lot. Oh, there's um, so I'm, much fraud. I mean, there's so much there's fraud. A way to, yeah, but there's a way to do it. I forget who was telling me. There was some some athlete was telling me that there was a way to sign with their number. They put their number through the the signature somehow. That's interesting. Um, uh, yeah, I, um, I, 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 I was, God, I have so many great stories. I'll tell you one quick story that I recently had a, 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 a dream come true. I got, and this is again through Twitter, I met Marty Brenneman through oh. uh, Twitter and Instagram, the, the Hall of Fame voice of the Cincinnati Reds. Really nice guy, by the way. You've, yeah, so you know as well. What, yeah. a, what, an, inc- 
what a gentleman and what a what a kind man and what a talent. And uh, and I met him and I said, you know, I'd love to just come say hello when you're up in the booth. And so I last uh, series the Reds were here playing the Dodgers. I went up and and had a, a one of the thrills of my lifetime getting to go up and meet uh, Marty and 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 pick his brain about baseball. But boy, there's so much more I wanted to talk to him about. But he was really gracious and let me come in the booth. You know, during the, I think it was the third or fourth inning when I think uh, he was obviously not calling the game at that point. But um, I had a moment where one of the Reds hits hit hit a home run, and uh, I think the Suarez hits a home run. And um, I'm in the booth, and I start clapping and going, "Go, go, go! Get out of here! Get out of here!" <laughs> and uh, and and Brantley, I think, was was covering the mic. Looks over like, "Who the hell is that?" And shut up because I'm in the middle of calling this game. And uh, Marty shushes me, and he goes, <laughs> "He goes, Shh, you, gotta, you gotta keep it down up here." And so I turned to him and I said, "Well, how did you do it with Joe Nuxall? Because I don't know if you Reds fans will appreciate this, but Joe Nuxall who it was always Marty and Joe on Red's radio. Mm-hmm. Joe Nuxall used to scream and yell anytime a Red hit a home run. And you'd hear him in the background going, get out of here, get out of here. And sometimes you hear a little profanity laced into it. <laughs> and and the legend goes, I don't know if this is true, and certainly Marty didn't, didn't say this, but I've heard this from a few people that he was on about his third or fourth gin and tonic by about the seventh inning Marty would be or not Marty uh, Joe would Joe, be. Yeah. Um, Joe not Marty no Joe would be but um, so I said to Marty I said how, how did you how did you do it when Joe would be yelling you know while you were calling the game he goes you know it was just one of those things you had to live with <laughs> <laughs> it's part of Joe's charm you know uh, yep. Yeah, the old left-hander. Yeah, oh my gosh, I grew up listening right. to those guys. I I interviewed Marty for uh, for the book. I'm working on a book about 1970s baseball, and uh, oh gosh, and I, I I can't wait. I want a, I want an advanced copy of that. You got it. You got it. That's uh, nice. th- that will be your uh, your prize for coming on the my show prize. today. <laughs> okay, but uh, but yeah, I, I interviewed Marty for that, and I mean, he was so accommodating and. Uh, you know, gave me so many terrific stories about uh, about the Big Red Machine. But I think my favorite story that Marty told me, and all of a sudden this is becoming a, a, a real tangent, but, uh, right. you know, the first inning of the first game that he did as uh, a voice of the Reds was Hank Aaron uh, tying Ruth's record. Oh, no. That was, the, that was the top half of the first inning of his first game as voice of oh, the Reds. Oh, my God. <laughs> so, wow. and I thought, uh, wow. wow, you know, it's going to be hard to top, hard to top yeah. that. Where do you, where, I'm sorry, where, where, where do you go? Where do you go from there? Unless Roger Clemens is up in the booth and, you know, you get Roger Clemens has joined the, yeah, he's with George Steinbrenner. <laughs> oh, the amazing things to happen in you Yankee stadium. This is the most incredible moment. Roger Clemens is back. Believe me, she got a lot more excited about Roger Clemens coming back, I'm sure, than Marty was about witnessing history. I mean, hey, can we can we talk a minute for about the Yankees? What's the, who's the voice of the Yankees? The Yankees win. The oh. Yankees win. How, the, John listen, Sterling. You can't, come, you can't come up with a better signature line than oh. the Yankees win. The Yankees win. I mean, seriously. <laughs> He thought about that for a long time, too, Chad. I mean, I mean you, know. you know, come on, listen. And this one belongs to the Reds. I mean, that's a classic. The Yankees will win. The Yankees win. I mean, what is that? <laughs> well, you know, uh, you, you change the cadence. You know, that's his yeah, gimmick. I, I don't know. It's just, I, 
I, I, I, terrible. I, I, I lived in New York for a while. I couldn't, I couldn't listen to that. To those two, God bless them. They may be wonderful people, but it was really, really hard to take. Especially, look, you're spoiled. If you grew up with Joe Nuxall and Marty Brenneman, you're spoiled. And 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 you know what? And then I come out here and I get Vin Scully. I mean, oh. talk about hitting. You know, talk about the the dream team of announcing Vin Let's, Scully and Marty Brenneman. Announcing. I mean, there's a, there's another one for you in the category of it. You know, ain't what it used to be. Uh, oh. You know, it's. And I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that announcing is necessarily bad today. And I'm and I'm talking about baseball announcing. But it seems like a lot of these guys. It's so vanilla. It's so generic uh, that you know I I could be tuning in a Marlins game or I could be tuning in. Uh, you right. know any other team, and these the announcers just kind of sound interchangeable. Uh, whereas I think you know back in the day, you know whether you're talking about Harry Callis in Philadelphia or oh God, yeah, classic, or, yeah. or Harry. I remember when Harry Carey was the voice of the Chicago White Sox. Most yeah, people don't remember know that he was actually the voice of the White Sox for a long time. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, and 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 of course the you know the Cardinals before that. But right. l- l- listen, I got I got to ask you. I was doing some uh, uh, a little bit of research uh, for this earlier, and I, I came across uh, a, a picture that you had posted on your Instagram, which was I believe your your bus pass from like 1980, and. <laughs> You had a you had a very clever pseudonym on your on your bus. I mean, there you are, very clearly a young Chad Lowe. Uh, yet uh, the name I, I believe uh, was not your actual name. So, do you want to tell us uh, how that happened? Well, which yeah, actually, I was you know again because of my love of the Cincinnati Reds and moving out to the West Coast and being you know homesick and. And being crushed that I was not, no longer able to listen to Marty and Joe and follow my Reds, I, I decided that I would take the moniker Dave Concepcion <laughs> on my school bus pass. And uh, no one ever questioned it. They just assumed I was Dave Concepcion. The fun thing has been explaining that to my daughters now, because my oldest daughter, who's seven, said, Dad, what? We're trying to explain why I did that to her. And why she probably shouldn't do something like that, <laughs> but um, but uh, yeah, no, I, I came across that the other day, and uh, I remember doing that, and um, you know, I just I, listen. I of all my all the Reds, I think Dave Concepcion may Joe Morgan was my Joe Morgan, Pete Rose, Dave Concepcion. I mean that that those guys, those were those were my guys, and Joe Morgan mainly because I was short and uh, I, I was little as a kid, so I figured you know if Joe could play pro baseball or not, maybe I had a shot. Um, I was not fast like Joe Morgan. I had no speed. I couldn't hit the ball. I played high school baseball, and. Um, really was never good enough to settle into position, so I was kind of a utility guy. So uh, I, I think I was more of an Ed Armbrister, <laughs> a, uh, uh, one, of the, one of the Concepcion or, or, a, or a Morgan. But, uh, Ed Armbrister, I, I, that's, a, that's a name that takes you back to the 1975 World Series. Oh, doesn't you, that, though, the, that interference call? Yeah, yes, getting tangled up with Carlton Fisk. I, now, yeah. now, see, now, like my mind wanders, and I, you know, I'm imagining you at like age 19 or 20 with a with a, a different kind of Dave Concepcion fake ID. You know, uh, no, no. You know what I did then is I took I took my older brother Rob uh, Lowe's uh, um, driver's license, and I used that. And um, I can remember one time specifically being at a club in Hollywood. 
And uh, I, I used, used to work like a charm. And this time, though, I went to the bouncer, and he says, let me see some ID. And I showed him my the Rob Lowe driver's license. And he looks at it, and he goes, he goes, dude, you're not fucking Rob Lowe. <laughs> and I go, I go, what do you mean? He goes, dude, you're not Rob Lowe. I go, I go, yes, I am. He goes, dude, you're not Rob Lowe. Get out of here. And I said, well, okay, I'm his brother. And he goes, really? I said, yeah, I'm his brother. He goes, oh, dude, cool. Come on in. <laughs> so it, 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 it was it, a win-win situation. Even when it yeah. didn't work. Yeah, there was no way that you were going to lose at that point. Uh, no, I wish, listen, I'll name drop if it gets me into the club. No problem with that. <laughs> well, okay, you know, speaking of your brother, uh, he did a really neat spot for uh, the NFL a couple of years ago talking about the Low Family Turkey Bowl. Yep. So, you know, which, I, which as I understand it is a longstanding tradition that you guys have. Yeah, we, we you know we started the neighborhood we grew up in in in, uh, in Ohio was was you know filled with kids and it was this uh, real real kind of Catholic neighborhood so you can imagine there were kids everywhere and um, although we're not Catholic we just were in this part of town that was kind of where all the Catholic families lived and we um, so we would all gather you know like you did back in the day before play dates and uh, video games but you know you'd get home from school and you just go outside and you'd have your all your 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 whole community ready and we'd play football and so it was uh whatever the season was whether it was baseball and even in the winter when it would freeze over you'd try to go out and skate on the street or you know you'd play football and uh we just it was just a tradition in that neighborhood that you know on thanksgiving you play football that's what you did and so we always did that and we moved out west we we just insisted on having uh, you know, football games. And I was always disappointed when I moved out here to California that, you know, as soon as it got a little rainy, you know, other kids' moms would tell them they couldn't go out and play because it was wet. <laughs> or they'd say, you know, Come on. It's, it's a, oh, no, for, for, for real. It was, it was, and I'd be like, we'd play in the freaking snow. What do you, what, I don't get the problem here, but see, I can't play football after school. My mom said it's, it's too wet. But that's when you wanted to play. You play mud football was oh. the best. And on Thanksgiving, totally. So in L.A., when it rains, you know, the two times a year it rains, you just had to get out and, and, and play mud football, which is the greatest thing. I think mud football may be the greatest game ever created. <laughs> so we um, we would play, uh, you know, we would always have our, our turkey bowl, and they, they were modest in the beginning. They were very modest. It was usually like my grandfather, uh, maybe my grandmother, if we needed somebody to hike the ball. Um, you know, and my stepdad and my brothers and I, and maybe a friend who, you know, we could pull in and, but then it grew and it became this kind of tradition. And and then we had t-shirts made up for it. And we, you know, we'd go to the local high school football field and, you know, it never, it never became tackle football. I think we all realized that, you know, that was maybe, that maybe wasn't the smartest thing. Um, but uh, and still to this day, now that we're you know older and we have kids and families, we still make a point of having the uh, having the turkey ball. So my brother is you know with his two boys is very you know it's it's a big deal for him. And and if and I last year I, I wasn't there and I missed it and I was shamed um, <laughs> publicly for missing the turkey ball. I think it might have been the first one I missed in thirty some years. But uh, it's a great tradition because you play football and then you eat yourself into a coma and then you can't walk for three days afterwards. <laughs> Using those muscles that, uh, that don't oh, get a workout all the so what you, you may not you may not know how much you've aged in a year, but but you, after playing you know a little bit of touch football, <laughs> you you realize that the years are definitely piling up. <laughs> the turkey bowl is your barometer for how you're deteriorating. It is your barometer, how much you how much you how much you stayed in 
shape over the past year and how much you've aged. So what? So what's your favorite story of, of turkey, turkey Bowl heroics? I mean, you know, Rob tells a great story in the commercial of, uh, you know, finding his son for a touchdown pass. I mean, what's a... Well, you can only believe half of what my brother says. <laughs> um, so just, just take that with a grain of salt. Um, there are great turkey bowl moments. I mean, uh, you know... Um, I, you know, the, the, none really stick out. I mean, there was one turkey bowl where I think we had, it was Charlie at the time of Stevas, who's now obviously Charlie Sheen. And um, Charlie was playing in the game. And I forget, there were a couple other actors who showed up at the game. And we were all very, very serious about it. And there was this producer named Cassian Elways, who, it was this Englishman who had didn't, you know, didn't know football as we, as we know it. And so, he decided he would go out there and play, and he was, you know, pretty uncoordinated and, and not really keeping up. But of course, the last play of the game came down to this bomb, you know, this like Doug Flutie esque bomb, and it ricochets off like three or four hands and falls into his lap. And so the line, <laughs> you know, wins the the friggin' turkey ball uh, on Thanksgiving, which just it, just it was wrong. It just, you know, it was. It just there was something very wrong about that. You know, it was like the South. You know, it's like it's like when the, when a European wins the you know the U.S. Open. It just, it just doesn't feel right. I mean, we need Johnny Mac. Nothing against the Europeans. I love them, but seriously, I mean, it's the U.S. Open. You want Johnny Mac, or you know, you want Connors, right? You know, Connor. Oh yeah, Connors with the old T two thousand. That's a whole other. We could go off on that for for a while. But uh, yeah, the Turkey Bowl. So we'll still play. And you know, my my I, I um. And now and we've talked about having kids, and I have three girls. And uh, my wife is an avid football fan. That's how she, I got to know the uh, 49er organization people. And she's a huge Niner fan, but she's always upset that she's not able to play in the turkey ball. She's played in a few of them, but my wife can throw a mean spiral, and she, <laughs> she can hold her own out there. Hey, I'm telling you, that's an underrated quality in a woman, the ability it to is. throw a spiral I'm, now. That, and also she's, you know what our last words to each other every Saturday night when we're going to bed are? She turns to me and she says, honey, have you set your lineup? <laughs> yes. We play, uh, we play fantasy football, and she is more competitive than anybody I've ever played against. Oh, so right. so we, uh, she's always asking me what Roto World's saying, you know, or she'll always tell me who she's got on waivers, who she's looking at. And we have um, we have a very competitive. Our house is a football house. Our poor daughters are going to become like uh, they're going to either grow up loving football or absolutely hating it because it takes both of their parents away from them on Sundays. So I mean, are you guys going to be recruiting them? I mean, are you, are you going to be pitching the Bengals while she's pitching the Forty uh, Niners to these kids? Well, I mean, you know, I would uh, nobody nobody should. That's that's child abuse for me to, <laughs> to, to, to force the Bengals on my daughters. Um, but uh, there is a battle going on uh, with the hearts of our children as to which team they will, you know, they will inherit. I've, I'm trying with the Bengals because I, I God, God bless them. I love my Bengals in spite of their many flaws, in spite of some of the ills of the current ownership, uh, which I think is, is actually once we decided to actually hire a GM um, was, was the best decision that they finally made uh, the Brown family, but um, yeah, I, I, the Bengals. If they're Niner fans, it's fine with me. I, I, I have no problem with that. But but you know, truly, they in their heart of hearts, they've got to they've got to root for the Bengals. It's hard. Listen, it's hard to be a Cincinnati Bengal fan. 
um, with this with the Pittsburgh Steeler bias. Let me just throw this out at you, at you. How do you think the history books would look at Ben Roethlisberger if he were a Cincinnati Bengal? Hmm. There is a bias against the Bengals, and some of it is earned. I, I, I grant you that some of it is earned, but I think it honestly goes back to the days when Paul Brown. Uh, left Cleveland and decided to, to create this new franchise down in Cincinnati. I think that there's still some old school NFL people who have it in for the Brown family and will hate the Bengals no matter what. And so we're always painted with this brush. And, you know, that last game against Pittsburgh, don't get me started on that. You know, they're saying Marvin Lewis can't control his players. Well, I say, well, Mike Tomlin can't control his coaches. He's got one of them pulling our player's hair. He's got another one who's out on the field toward the end of the game who should have been penalized for being out there. I know this talk about a tangent. Uh, I'm so bitter. Uh, I love the fact. I love the anger. I mean, this is still bothering you. That's great. Honest to God, it bothers me. It really bothers me. I think about it. It pisses me off. I've got a lot of friends who are Pittsburgh Steelers fans. And, you know, if a Pittsburgh Steelers makes a a, a dirty hit, it's hard-nosed Pittsburgh Steelers football. If a Bengal does it, well, they're just being the Bengals and they're penalized. And I'm telling you, there's a media bias, like there is for for East Coast baseball teams. Mm-hmm. It's as though it's as though this it's as though the Yankees and the Red Sox are somehow ordained to be in you know in the in the conversation at the end of the year every oh. year. And it's like you know, no, they're not. There's the Kansas City Royals. There are other teams Listen. that deserve just as much, right? Don't get me don't get me started on the Yankees and the Red Sox. And you know, no no offense to our Steeler fans and Yankee and Red Sox fans here, but like, could could ESPN possibly show the Yankees playing the Red Sox any more often? I mean, I mean, it, it's it's you know, I, I look, I get it. It's their storied franchises. They're great franchise. I mean, you have to respect both of those. Of those organizations, and and I will say the fans of those teams are puts. They are some of the greatest fans. I'm not going to say the greatest, but they are some of the greatest fans in all of sports. You come out here to LA, and you and the Dodger fans are passionate, but they're sitting on their ass the entire game. I mean, it could be you know bottom of the ninth, you know bases loaded, two out, and they're you know they're sitting there clapping, but they're on their ass. Yankee Stadium, Boston, people stand for the almost the entirety of the game. I admire that passion in those fans, but honestly, I don't need to see it every Sunday night. Well, you know, I mean, it's it's just I'm convinced that somehow they play each other 70 times a year. You know, I haven't <laughs> right. I haven't checked the schedule. I'm pretty sure that's illegal, but it seems like that's the case. I, you know, now here's the thing. You you know, you relocate cross country. Uh, you know, as a kid, what does that do for your allegiances? I mean, obviously, you've remained uh, a, a serious Reds fan throughout your life. I mean, what about basketball and, and hockey or even football? I mean, are, are you a guy who has a favorite team and then kind of your your fallback local team that's your number well, two? I, I have a I, I, I have a real I mean, I think it speaks so highly of, of, of someone's character if they're bandwagoning, if if they don't have a team that they stick with, that they were born with, that's your team. And come hell or high water, no matter what, you stick with that team, and that is your team. And I respect that. Now, it's these people, and, and, and don't get me, I love my brother. And I have two other brothers as well. It's not just Rob. I got two younger brothers. But Rob, every year I'm like, who are you rooting for this year? Who do you like this year? Who? And he'll wait and see who's good, you know. Um, 
So I never know who he likes. Whereas, you know, there's no question where I stand. It's Cincinnati Bengals. It's Cincinnati Reds. Uh, I'm not a huge basketball fan, although I will say I root for the Cavs just because I like to see something good happen in Cleveland. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, So I'd say I'm a a Lakers. I I like the Lakers and the Celtics. Go figure. I know that's almost impossible. How did did you resolve those uh, great battles in the 1980s? I mean, well, you know, my dad, my grandfather, when we moved out here, took me to my very first basketball game because the great John Havlicek was coming to play against the Lakers. And he was a Havlicek fan. And so we went out to the old forum and watched uh, John Havlicek play. So I became a Boston Celtics fan. Now, cut to many years later, and I'm a Larry Bird fan because my dad is from Indiana. And he's told me all along, look at this kid. Wait till you see this kid out of Indiana. He's going to be something. He's going to be something special. So I was a Larry Bird fan. So then he's a Celtic. Now, I also loved Magic Johnson. And I loved the way he played the game. I loved his enthusiasm. I loved him in college at Michigan State. So that was really tricky because I liked both of those guys so much. And I, I, I was not a Danny Ainge fan. And let's talk about Danny Ainge. You've got to post a picture of him in this ridiculous uh, Toronto Blue Jays jersey when they played it. <laughs> When they played at that horrendous, like, that, like, talk about AstroTurf, they played at, like, fairground, that, like, fake, like, they turned, like, a... Exhibition they turned, stadium. Like, a, yeah, they turned, like, some kind of, like, uh, like, a, like, horse racing track into a baseball stadium. But, th- so I, I was, um, you know, it was hard, because I liked both of them. I have to say, I was taken, I mean, I loved James Worthy, you know, I loved, uh, I loved that, the old Laker team, but I also liked the Celtics. I liked Robert Parrish, I loved the Chief. I mean, how can you not love Robert Parrish? And, and, and DJ Dennis Johnson, who played his college ball out here at Pepperdine, which is, uh, you know, is interesting to, because it, you, you just don't think of them as, as producing somebody as, as legendary as Dennis Johnson. Um, but I, you know, those were, those were the golden era of, of basketball. And, that, and frankly, I, I lost, have lost interest in the modern day game of basketball because you can't top what, what we had with the Celtic uh, Laker rivalry in, in the 80s. You just can't, you can't top that. Those teams were just so good. And, it, and, and the brand of basketball, I think, was more entertaining. I, I mean, again, maybe that's. You know, maybe that's me transitioning into, you know, everything was better when I was young guy. But uh, but those series were were incredible. You know, one of the things that people seem to debate quite a bit, and I had a little bit of fun. Uh, well, maybe I had more than a little bit of fun kind of uh, poking at the Golden State Warriors fans on my uh, on Super 70 Sports was this debate of, you know, is Golden State the greatest team ever? And uh, you know, probably with their their loss in the finals, uh, you're not going to hear that much anymore. But this debate of uh, how would Golden State have fared against the uh, the you know 1996 Bulls or the or the 86 Celtics or right. 87 Lakers and so forth. I mean, how do you think the quality of play is now compared to uh, you know those kinds of teams from the the 80s and 90s that we had so much fun watching? Well, I don't know if it's if it is that we're we're old guys who just have that nostalgic, you know, romantic recall of everything was better back when. But uh, I, I certainly feel like all sports were better back in the in the in, in, in listen. A lot of it, maybe perhaps some of it is is some of the the you know and the drugs that the we talk about the performance enhancing drugs that that 
some are, may or may not be taking. But listen, remember what happened with baseball when, when baseball needed, you know, after the strike, people had kind of turned away from, you know, the America's pastime, and we needed a spark, and then all of a sudden along came McGuire and Sosa, and I remember being spellbound by that. You know, and now we come to learn, you know, many years later that these guys were on steroids and, and, and you know, and cheating, right? Yeah. So uh, I look at it in tennis. I miss the old days of tennis before the rackets. And this is in tennis, it's the equipment. Before the equipment became so advanced, it was much more touch. There was much more feel to the game. You mm-hmm. had the Borgs and the McEnroes. I mean, you know, and you go way, way back before that. But I think some of the advances in the technology end up hurting the game. Yeah. Um, golf. I, you know, I, think, I, I think golf's the same way. Golf is. I mean, golf is the same way. It doesn't have that touch. It's all about power. It's about the home run, the slam dunk, and you know the the ace. And I'm, to me, I'm, I like the finesse of the game. I, you know, I. I I like watching you know basketball. I like the pass. I mean, like as a sport, when I play basketball, I, I certainly can't jump and I can barely shoot, but I can pass the ball. So maybe that's why. But I appreciate a good assist yeah. much more than I appreciate a slam dunk. I'm always like, look, make me six foot ten. If you're six foot ten and you're slamming a basketball, what's the big deal? I'd rather see you know uh, an Iceman layup or, or or you know Dr. J going up and under the the rim to just that touch and that feel is what's missing from the game. I like small ball. I'm, I'll be honest. I like a good home run, but I like to see some small ball. I like to see a team that gets a guy, you know, leadoff hitter who works the count, you know, gets the pitcher to get his pitch count up, you know, walks on like eight or nine pitches and then steals a base and then, you know, gets a, you know, makes it scores on a on a single you know a single to the alley or something i mean to me that's where the beauty of these games lies and and it's you know i don't know it's i don't know what it is if it's just that i'm a I've become a grumpy kind of old guy i don't know what it is but i'm i long for those days where where it wasn't all about the home run and the you know the slam dunk yeah i mean today in baseball i mean strikeouts are I mean, it's crazy. I mean, they, you know, we, we're, we're setting records like one year after the next for, uh, you know, most strikeouts. Uh, I'm talking about league average, where you right. just got a lineup full of guys who are, and, you know, all these defensive shifts and guys are continuing to try and pull the ball. And, you know, they've got the entire infield stacked on right. one side. And, you know, the guys, whatever, I'm not changing my approach. You know, I'm going to try to pull this. Uh, well, you know, you know, you know, you know what's interesting about that. I, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I, I, it brings me back to Marty Brennan and, and a conversation I had with him very recently when I was when I got up to visit him at the booth. Uh, we were there was a kid pitching that the, the Reds had brought up from AAA, and he was struggling. And I said, uh, I said to Marty, I said, "What do you think of this guy?" And he goes, "Ah, eh, not much." I said, "Really?" He goes, "I don't think he's got it." He goes, "We've got better guys, you know, down in Louisville that are waiting to come up than this guy." Um, and I said, uh, I said, well, what is it about him? And he said, his velocity is up there. I mean, he's pitching in the upper night, you know, mid to upper nineties. He goes, he goes, let me tell you something. Tom Seaver once told me, he said, what do you think Marty's the most important thing for a pitcher to have? And Marty said, well, I of course answered, uh, velocity. And Tom Seaver said, wrong. <laughs> he said, what do you think it is? What's the second choice? He goes, well, uh, velocity, uh, he said, then, uh, I don't know, what would be, I just think velocity would be the, mo- be the most important thing for a pitcher to have. And he says, Tom Seaver told Marty Brenneman, there are three most important things for a pitcher to have in this order. One is placement. Mm-hmm. The other is movement. The third is velocity. And that explains a lot about why some pitchers 
you know, like a, a Maddox or somebody like that, you know, really have that ability to, to, to stay in the long haul because it isn't just about blowing the ball by people. I mean, if, if it were just about that, you know, Chapman would be a starter. Right. But can't, the, the bodies can't take it. I tell you, I got, I got, I got to throw out. This is another thrill. Last year was my baseball, like it was my field of dreams, getting to play in the All Star game, and then I got to throw out the first pitch at the Dayton Dragons uh, uh, minor league ball. And, oh, that's and, terrific. Uh, game. Yeah, and I got to throw out the first pitch. And but what I was taken with there was watching all of these, you know, eighteen year old and nineteen year old kids, and every single one of them was up in the nineties. Yeah. At 91, 92, and I'm thinking, well, how, how are these guys in single-A ball, and they're bringing it at 92, 93 miles an hour? And now, no, understanding this from what you know, Marty told me, Tom Seaver told him, that makes perfect sense. These guys don't have the placement. They don't have that control. They don't have the movement on their ball. So you can throw the ball 95 miles an hour. It, it still doesn't mean you're going you're gonna to make it. Yeah, and I think that the, the sad part of this maybe is that there's such a premium that's being placed on velocity now that if you're a guy who's you know throwing the ball 88, 89, I'm not sure how long of a look you get from scouts nowadays. Yeah, um, yeah. And you know the Cubs have a uh, have a uh, you know a p- young pitcher named Kyle Hendricks who is a uh, right. uh, you know pretty nice young pitcher and he's another one of those guys that by by today's standards I mean you know he, he's slow but right. but has location and and movement and is able to be effective for for those reasons. Um, you know, I, I, let me kind of wrap up here with you. I've got a I've got a few uh, kind of wild card questions here at the end. Sure, I love it. Um. The Bengals helmets, uh, you know, the Bengals made uh, a radical departure in helmet design. They went from having this uh, charmingly uh, simplistic, just, <laughs> I don't know how, charmingly simplistic. That's probably the nicest characterization I can give it. I think they found those decals at like the local uh, Ace Hardware. <laughs> <laughs> Put them on the helmets, the old bangle and uh, bold caps. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. What's the question? And, and so you, you had that, and then I think 1981, they they, they go to the the tiger stripes that uh, that we all know today. Uh, yeah. Most people seem to to really like the tiger stripes, and I do too. But uh, what do you think about those 1970s Bengals helmets? Because this might be my other uh, unpopular opinion, along with uh, uh, artificial turf. Um, I kind of, I kind of, I kind of dug those, Chad. I think you and I, I think you and I uh, communicated about this on on the Twitter uh, feed not long ago that we both appreciated uh, that they were. It's kind of like that movie um, uh, uh, Showgirls. Uh, you know, it's so bad that it's kind of good. Yes. Um, so I think it's like showgirls, the, those Bengals helmets. There's something so bad about it that there's something kind of brilliant under the surface. If you really think about it, the simplicity of those helmets and the beauty of that kind of matte orange helmet with those big, bold black letters with the white trim that just simply announce Bengals. <laughs> there's, there's something kind of beautiful uh, with those. i tell you what. I, 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 I do think I, I, I appreciate and, and, and prefer the Bengal stripe helmet, but what I don't like 
about the the jerseys is all of the tiger stripes all over the jersey. Yeah. I yeah. think we I think what we do is we go if I'm a GM and I like when you say if you're president by the way you got my vote. <laughs> Thank you. With, I Thank agree you. with almost everything you would implement. Um I would say I would go back I would just keep the helmets as they are with the tiger stripes but I would go back to the old school uh Kenny Anderson, Isaac Curtis black with orange traditional stripes, black jersey, white pants. I mean, that is that is a classic look to me. It's like, you know, they have something good, but then they, it's like, you know, there's an art to it. You have something good, and then you just keep going, and you, and you overdo it. And I feel like the jerseys and the pants with the stripes and the swishes, is, that's really, to me, that's overdone it. So, um, I, that, I, yeah, that, that's my answer to that. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I mean, uh, mod- moderation in all things, and maybe Indeed. maybe particularly in, in tiger stripes. Yes, <laughs> moderation in all things, particularly tiger stripes. That so, that should be a motto. So, I, so, I, so you are going to stump for me in California, then, right? I mean, oh you yeah, know, you've you've got my. That's, listen, a, that's I mean, a big what, electoral prize out there, so you know I, I can't mean, mess around. And I'm not so sure that people love both of these candidates. So um, I think you've really got a chance this year. I mean, I got to. I've got to. I've got to have it. You know. I mean, look, it's me or Gary Johnson, and you know, I'm I'm going to deliver the the you know ice cream helmets. So. You know what it is? It's people. It, it, ice cream helmets. And this, and I'm, I would vote for you for this. It, when people say, ask me if I'm a Trump guy or a, or a Hillary guy, I just say, no, I'm a Ricky guy. That's just <laughs> what I think. Now I have a question for you. Do you do you pull the old Ricky Henderson and stand in front of the mirror naked and say, Ricky's the best? Ricky's the best. Did you ever hear that story about Ricky Henderson? Well, for, I have heard that story, and 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 Chad, <laughs> I, I I do that at least three times a week. Well, that's important. I think, as you should, and and I think uh, you know, if you're going to be president of the United States, um, I think that that is uh, something that you should be doing, and let 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 the general population know that that's something you do to motivate yourself. Well, you know, so much of life is is a state of mind, you know, and I oh, find yeah. that that helps me kind of find my balance in the mornings. <laughs> so. I don't know. I probably just killed what shred of electability I had by uh, <laughs> no, no, it's admitting more, that. This makes you more uh, relatable. <laughs> okay, so, good, good. Who well, doesn't stand in front of the mirror and say their name? Yeah, I should have focus grouped that before I admitted it. But no, that's uh, why you're so popular. Is you don't focus group. You just say what you just say what you feel, and you don't waver. And you, you look, you you uh, you unabashedly, unapologetically love astroturf, and that's what we love about you. <laughs> it may not be popular, but that's what you love. It's, look. It may, not you know, be popular. <laughs> it may not be popular to be a Cincinnati Bengal fan, but that's who I love. See, that is my team. You know what I always say? You learn to like a team when they win, but you learn to love them when they lose. That's true. I mean, I'm a Cubs fan, man. So, you know, I, I, I'm telling you, I've been a Cubs fan, and, and since I was a kid, watching them on WGN. So, if they win, I'm going to enjoy it, you know. If they win, I think what you need to do is you need to put up a sign that says, it says, Bartman, all is forgiven is what you need to put up. <laughs> and that should be a banner flown above the city because, man, no poor fan has taken a beating, an un, you know, undeserved beating more than that poor Bartman because that was a joke. I'm, I pissed me off about you guys. I'm sorry. He did what I think any of us would have done. You're going to stand up. I mean, I've, I've been going to baseball games my entire life. I've never caught a foul ball. I've never come particularly close. So right. if a ball is coming right at me, what, what are you going to do? You're going to look up. 
It's coming towards you. You're instinctively going to lift your hands. You're not. You're not thinking about anything else. And here's here's let's let's start another petition. Game one of the World Series because I do think the Cubs will be in the World Series. I petition to put Bartman out to throw out the first pitch. I I mean I, you know what I don't know. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna backpedal on that one. I, you know it's I don't necessarily believe in karma, but. Maybe we should maybe we should win the World Series and then let him throw out the first pitch on opening day of the next 20, okay, 2017. You know fair enough. Fair enough. As long as he gets, you know, as, as as long as he gets the honor that's deserved him and the apology, the long overdue apology from the Cup faithful. Yeah, we can bring him back next year. Okay. You know, I just done. yeah, Mojo and all that. You know. We'll yeah, just... I got you. I okay, got now you. I, now the, I, the Reds' old facial hair policy. All right, bring was, it back. Bring it back. I, okay, good. We're we're in agreement on that because no, I no baseball. Yeah, the baseball players with these caveman looks, the idiots from ball. It, it's that's not what it, I'm. I'm. A, I'm. I listen. I am. I. I can't believe I'm going to say this, but I agree with Marge Schott for once on one thing. <laughs> And with Steinbrenner, which is, you know, a baseball player should look a certain way. No facial hair. Look, I liked it when the Reds wouldn't allow any logos on their shoes. Remember that? They yeah. were the ones that, that That's right. a lot of the players complained because they were losing sponsorship money. And Just I black. Think Pete, was the, Pete was the first one to come out with the Mizuno shoes, which also crushed me. I was like, how can you not... How can you be repping like a Japanese baseball company? But uh, that's a whole other story. Not right. But, it's just not right. But um, yeah, I remember when they were just that. I mean, what a classic look that was when they just had those black shoes with no logo on them. I mean, I'm not sure what they did. Did they just remove the logo? I mean, or did they paint over it? With they may have put shoe, shoe polish. polish. Yeah, I think they put black shoe polish over it. Oh my God! How great is that? I believe. Yeah. See, I, I love the the no facial hair policy, and I remember as a as a kid rooting for guys with beards to get traded there. I always wanted like Rick Sutcliffe to get dealt to the to the to the Al, Reds, you know? Al Herboski to end up on yeah, the Reds. You know, I was yeah. I was pulling for that to happen. That was that was a big deal to me in my uh obviously uh, uh boring teenage well, like, life. Look at look at Johnny Damon going which which by the way, it's like you should Johnny they're so incestuous the the Yankees and the Red Sox. So gross, but Johnny Damon. How could you ever root for Johnny Damon? I mean, I'm sorry if you're a Boston Red Sox and you win the World's. Uh, you don't. You just say I'm sorry. I'm not playing for the Yankees. I play for the Mets. I mean, I I just don't get. I don't. I don't get that at all. Why those those guys do that? It's it's so weird to me. But I love that they made him shave his beard and cut his hair. I thought that was perfect punishment to come to. to but the, you know, look like that. Then he looked like a baseball player. I I'm not a fan of these of the beards. Hey, I have to ask you something. I've been wanting to ask you. All right. Um, are you aware of how Bake McBride got the nickname Bake? I am actually not. Because I swear I have a card from the seven, one, like seventy eight, seventy nine, and the word Bake is in quotation marks. I, you know, I do believe that there is one where it's in quotation marks. Did you? Is there any chance it has to do with weed? I don't know how he got the name, but it seems appropriate, right? Because he looks like he's high in like a solid sixty percent of his photographs. You know, and he and he and he, he may he may very well he may very well be. But you know, next time we run into Marty Brennan, we have to ask him. Uh, if he knows anything about that. And then the other thing I want to know about is UL Washington, which we've talked about. Okay, yeah. Uh, 
the, the toothpick. Um, you know, I tried to emulate that in Little League, and I nearly swallowed one. <laughs> um, and that was the end of that. But but how how the hell did they allow UL Washington to have a toothpick up at bat? I don't know how you do that. I mean, Jimmy Wynn was was another guy who played with a toothpick, and I interviewed Jimmy. I haven't I haven't had the pleasure of speaking to UL, but. I interviewed Jimmy for my book, and I said, okay, well, where did the toothpick come from? You know, what's what's the right. deal with that signature look? And he said, well, he said, I think maybe one time I'd eaten something before a game, and I had some food particles in my mouth, and I was picking them out, and then I just forgot that I had it there. You and, know what, he probably, listen, he probably, knowing the superstitions of ballplayers, he probably had a great game. And like uh, like there, your cub is it Bryant who who tore his pants last night against the Reds, hitting going five for five with three dingers and two doubles, and he said he's going to wear those same pants again today. Yeah. So it's you know it's like uh, Wade Boggs uh, and the chicken that he would eat before every game. That's right. Or or uh, listen, I used to never step on the white line when I went on a baseball field because of Sparky Anderson. That see, I, just, I never I never stepped on the white line because I knew if it was good enough for Sparky, it was good enough for me. It's a superstitious game. This baseball. Yeah. Um, speak, uh, you know, what, were you a wiffle ball guy? Oh, sure. I, oh, yeah. Wiffle ball was awesome. I was at what we called tennis ball baseball. We used to have a league of tennis ball baseball, and it was basically wiffle ball, but with a real baseball bat and a tennis ball thrown against the backboard, like a kick, you know, like a well, you know, backboards on a playground. And we played mean tennis ball baseball. And it was my brother, Rob, Charlie Sheen. Um, and some other kids from the neighborhood. And we had like six guys, and we had a league, and we would play each other. Charlie dominated. He had an arm. I mean, Charlie had Charlie legitimately had an arm. I mean, Char- Charlie's R- Ricky Wild Thing Vaughn here. I mean, he could bring know. it. I mean, Charlie was, you know, he had a, a college scholarship to play college baseball. And Char- Charlie and I actually played on the same teams growing up, but a year apart. So, Little League, I followed him. I was on the Astros, which killed me because I hated the Astros. But I was on the on the Astros. Then I was on the Generals, uh, which I've posted a picture of my uniforms, which I think you saw, the, the white with the stirrups, the Generals. Oh, yes, um, yes, I saw that. We were the Generals, and then I went on and played um, for the A's. Uh, and Charlie played on all of these teams. I was just a year away from him. And actually, you know who else played on these teams was Dean Kane ah. from the uh, Superman. Superman. Dean, Dean was a hell of an athlete. And uh, but Charlie and Dean were kind of the best baseball players we had out of. Uh, there was also, you know, what I also played in high school with a kid named Kelly Mann, um, who ended up playing for the Braves organization for a little while as a catcher. He played at my at my high school. But um, Charlie and and I, I go back to this uh, wiffle ball. We we had this uh, tennis ball, baseball. I'm surprised we still have arms because you know we try to throw a tennis ball as fast as we could. I usually had a, I had a great breaking ball, but I couldn't bring it with any speed. But I think Charlie won the championship every year in our tennis ball, baseball league. That's pretty good. I mean, a tennis ball. I mean, that you know, it's not that easy to get good movement on a tennis ball. Well, you know, what you do is if you get the ones that are bald, like the ones that don't have a lot of fuzz, you can really get you can get those things to bend like crazy. But we'd have it, and you'd always put it where you know, like there was a, a backboard, and then like the roof of a school in the distance, and that was the home run. Oh yeah, you got to have and, a good home run wall. I mean, that's oh yeah, that's no, a given. yeah. Yeah, and then if certain you know, hit a certain between two trees was a double. You know, you hit a certain part of the of the building, and that was a single. And one area was an out. And I mean, we played that every single day after school for years on end. Dude, um, that so, sounds yeah. good. That sounds good right now. 
Doesn't it? You, you, know, I know. you know what I mean? Doesn't that just sound I'm, good I'm, right now? I'm sitting here at work. I'm directing a show over on the Warner Brothers lot, and I'm looking out here, and I'm seeing all these roofs. I'm thinking, you know, we could throw the ball against that wall right there. That'd be a pretty. That, but that would be like the Green Monster, I think. I think that would be the Green Monster. In fact, you know what I'll do is I'll take a picture of where I am right now, and I'll send it to you on your okay. Twitter. Okay. And uh, and it will be uh, it it will be the the left field outfield for our tennis ball or wiffle ball game. I'll show you what our outfield fence will look like. Okay, outstanding. Because if I'm, if, if I'm ever out in Cali, you know, I mean, a wiffle ball game. I mean, how can you go tennis ball? I, no, I, we you've, do it. you've sold me on tennis ball. All right, well, I'm going yeah, to leave you with this. Yes. Pete Rose. There's no discussion with a Cincinnati sports fan that's going to be complete without Pete Rose and the Hall of Fame. What's your yeah. position? What's your position? My position has changed over the years. Um, I uh, for, for for the longest time, and, and, and it continues to evolve. My position: Pete Rose is Pete Rose's worst enemy. He is his own worst enemy. I love Pete. I love him for the way he played the game. But let, make no mistake, Pete is an unsophisticated guy from, you know, the wrong side of the tracks in Cincinnati. Um, and he, you know, he, he, never, he never pretended to be anything other than who he was. I love the quote, you know, he, he's, Pete says, I would play, I would walk through fire in a gasoline suit to play baseball. I just love that quote. That's Pete at its core. Um, I had the pleasure of having uh, uh, a meal with Pete about I want to say about 15 years ago, I was in Cincinnati, and we had dinner. My dad had arranged for my brother Rob and I to meet Pete and have dinner with him. And Pete went on, as he likes to do, he was holding court, and he talked for you know an hour and a half about why he should be uh, in the Hall of Fame. And he said to me, and, this, and I bought this argument hook, line, and sinker. He said, you don't think I've, he says, I, you don't think I haven't done a lot of good for the game of baseball? He said, what's the biggest problem we have in baseball right now? And I said, well, probably drugs. And he said, absolutely. So he said, you mean they're going to believe two convicted drug traffickers that I bet on baseball, or they're going to believe me? And I thought, well, there you go. I mean, you're going to believe two guys who were convicted you know, of drug trafficking or whatever it was they were convicted of, right. or, you're going to be- or you're going to believe one of the greatest ambassadors for the game of baseball and how baseball should be played. And so I believed Pete. And I, and I would defend Pete to anybody who asked me. Um, and then, you know, to see all these revelations come out about Pete and betting on baseball, um, I, you know, I changed my tune and I thought, you know, no, he shouldn't be allowed in the Hall of Fame. Now, I've, here's where I'm at now. I think you let Pete into the Hall of Fame, you let McGuire into the Hall of Fame, you let Sosa into the Hall of Fame, but you do it with a disclaimer and you explain the whole story about them. You know, I mean, look, Ty Cobb, uh, there are plenty of guys who did, uh, Babe Ruth and the stuff he did. I mean, if we had had the kind of media presence today, those guys. So what I'm saying is you let Pete in on the basis of his skills and what he's done for the game of baseball. But you also put next to that plaque, you say, look, this is what he did. This is what he was convicted of. This is what he's admitted to. You know, so you let Roger Clemens in the Hall of Fame. I mean, it isn't to me. It shouldn't just be about the numbers. I think it should be about the impact they had on the game, good or bad. So I think there's a place for Pete in the Hall of Fame, and I think he should be in the Hall of Fame. And I just hope that he gets into the Hall of Fame before he 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 dies, because I 
I know, you know, a little bit I know about him personally, and certainly what we all know about him publicly is that nothing means more to him than, than being respected and being acknowledged for the contributions he's made to baseball, good or bad. And so, to me, that should be the, the bar uh, against which we set for, for people being in or out of the Hall of Fame. Well, Chad Lowe, absolutely a pleasure, my friend. Well, thank you so much, and, and, and you keep up the good work. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of yours. I know you've got a lot of fans out there. You may not even know how many fans you have or what you're doing, and, and uh, you're, doing us, uh, you, you're doing all of us old guys and gals who uh, think things were better back when a, a real service, because, you know, we don't feel so alone. And when I, when I, see, when I see your posts and you're, you're you know, echoing exactly how I feel about uh, the way things used to be and the way things are today, it, uh, I know I'm not alone out there. Thanks so much for coming on. Thank you so much, and I'll uh, talk to you soon. All right. Uh, What a fun conversation that was, and I feel it was a pivotal moment in the Ricky 2016 campaign as well. That's a pretty big endorsement, and the sound that you hear in the distance might just be California tipping into the Ricky column come November. Uh, Remember, I'm the only candidate that will deliver throwback uniforms and... I'll mandate that every professional athlete in North America grow giant sideburns. Even the women. Okay, maybe maybe not the women, but the men will grow giant sideburns. My guest next week is the man that Hall of Fame manager Earl Weaver dubbed Full Pack. Because Earl said every time this guy came in to close out a game that he made it so nerve-wracking that Earl went through a full pack of cigarettes. Former all-star relief pitcher Don Stanhouse will join me on the podcast, and we'll be talking about his days with the Rangers, Expos, Orioles, and Dodgers. And wait till you hear some of the things that he has to say. One of the most colorful characters in 1970s baseball, to be sure. So until next time, I'm Ricky Cobb, and you've been listening to the Super 70 Sports Podcast.